Okay, so let's turn to Galatians. Okay, today maybe we'll read in Chinese. So Koreans and non-Koreans, uh, non-Chinese speakers, follow along with your eyes. So Galatians 1 to chapter 2, verse 14. Galatians 1, 1 to chapter 2, verse 14. Amen. As you well were, uh, the first night is always the difficult, most difficult time, and so we got to spend this time well. The more difficult it is, the more let us to, let us yearn and open up our hearts in faith as wide as possible. If you think about other things, just uh, chase it away. Chase those other thoughts away. Because honestly, I was planning on not doing the conference in Chuseok because of Africa. But with Galatians going on, I, I don't think I'll be able to finish this this uh, this conference. And, and so this is God's will to raise up the Zoe ministry here in Korea. And so all of a sudden, without planning, I, I came to uh, yearn to do this conference in, in Chuseok. So guys, uh, I want you all to yearn. Because this year is the 20th year anniversary of Zoe ministry. And so honestly, I wanted to gather in May, but because of the conference in Panama, there was no time. And so this conference in July is is the replacement for that celebration. It's already been 20 years since we began Zoe ministry. And for these past 20 years, God has done such great things. Even uh, how much we've traveled, just think about how much we've traveled. We've probably gone around the world several times. And so see, we can see God is alive, amen? And now that I've aged, it's so difficult. And so if you guys don't receive grace during the conference, I'm just going to go home. If you don't receive grace, I'm just going to go home. Because I'm getting older, I want to just do as I wish. I want to do as I please. And so let us receive grace, amen? So let's turn to Galatians. Galatians is one of the very first letters that Paul has written. And when Paul describes the gospel, he has no compromise. And so to the Galatians who have received the, these anti-truths, his rage is burning against them. And in truth, this doesn't apply to just Paul. But if you understand what is the gospel, then you understand that there can be no contamination. There can be no compromise. So when you think, when you see this contamination and you think it's okay, that is religion. Okay, 
and so when an ink splots a white patch of shirt, you do not just leave it alone, right? You feel that pain. And so we need to be able to commiserate with Paul as he uh, enrages against them, as they receive this legalistic, uh, as they receive this legalism, he curses them, he, he basically uh, just says, curses them out, right? And yet, Galatians has this systematic flow as if gears in a wheel uh, rotating in sync. And so it seems like a puzzle where they're scattered. And yet, when you see the system, it's like gears in a, in a clock moving, ticking and talking. And so the reason why it may be difficult to understand is because it is so compressed. Because all of Romans 4 is expressed in one line. And also, like, uh, there's no direct correlation, but it's basically um, all of Hebrews, all of Genesis, just just uh, condensed into one line. And so in this way, uh, Galatians may be difficult to understand, but, but Galatians has this clear outline of these nine elements moving as a gear. And so that's why I say Galatians is the reactor of the gospel. And above all else, when it comes to the church of God, we must have the authority of the word. Because God has given the authority of the word to his church. And so everything that God does in his church, it's all regarding the word. Even looking at it from the perspective of Ephesians, right? It talks about this important system of prophets, apostles, evangelists, and teachers. All of these positions are positions of speech, right? And so the glorious church in Ephesians is the church that trains them how to speak, how to speak in authority. It's the same thing with your prayer. Your prayer is a type of speech, right? And so without the authority of the word, we have no power. And so the words that are given to the church, they will never fall to the floor. If you pray, the heavens should open up. If you pray, God answers. And these are not my words, but this is the promise in the Bible. This is how all of our forebears have lived their lives, right? And so if you are not aware whether prayer, there's prayer, answers to prayers or not, whether God has given or not, it should not be unclear. This should be very clear to you. Without that clarity, you would not have that inspiration. You would not know that you are living with God. And also, on top of this, this is God's promise to you. And this is our relationship with God. That because we are inviting Him, we are invite, invited into the official place. And so when we 
offer this official invitation, God must give a response. That's why in the word he promises, ask whatever it is in my name and I will give it to you. That when we pray, God gives. This is our relationship to God. And so why do we find this not happening in our lives? It's because we do not have the authority of the word that God has given us. You are a child of the king, and, you, and yet you have lost that authority. And so it's so it's more difficult to bring the it's more difficult than a moving a star in the sky. This means that this is showing that there's something unnatural in your faith. Truly, truly, God loves us more than anything, and that He wants to give you more than you want. He wants to give you more than what you ask for. For 34 years as I've been walking with God, I feel that heart of God even now is, is hot off the press that He wants to give me more than I even ask. This has never changed. And so it's all about the authority of the Word. And so from this perspective, Galatians is a very important book. How powerful is the authority of the word in that church? If you need a reactor of 50,000 watts for, to light up the lights in Shihua, right, that amount of power is in us. But the Word of God is not that much, but it is the power that can light the entire universe. So imagine that reactor, the force behind that reactor. There's a lot of echo, right? And because of this echo, it's kind of hard to hear. Uh, the sound is echoing a lot. Can you guys still hear me? Okay, good. Okay, let's continue. So the word of God in Hebrew is the word dabar. And the word dabar, it, it has this meaning of proclamation. And so everything that we proclaim is dabar. And then in the New Testament, the word would be rema. That when we proclaim, the action happens. And this is not an empty theory, but this is the power of God. The Word of God created the heavens and the earth and casts out demons with His Word. With the Word, He heals. With the Word, He blesses. And so when he proclaims, the action happens. When he proclaims, there is healing. When you proclaim, demons are cast out. When you proclaim, blessings, blessings fall. This is the essence of what it means to be a child of God. It doesn't, it's not a special privilege, but that's how God created you. And that's who he made you to be. Amen? 
And so this amazing reactor must be circulating within you. That your proclamations would truly be Dabar. Amen? That when you proclaim, an action happens. And so fundamentally, your relationship with God is that when you speak, God does not ignore it. God does not let it fall to the floor. If it seems as if God is ignoring it, that means there's something wrong with your relationship. I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. This doesn't only apply to pastors. If you are a child of God, He wants to have fellowship with you. And so it is strange that you are not receiving answers to your prayer. It is strange that He is not responding to you. Every morning, He responds to my prayer. Every moment by moment, He responds to my prayer. Amen. And this is getting stronger and stronger as I live with Him. And so, from this perspective, Galatians is speaking about the authority of the Word. And so we read up to chapter 2, verse 14. Because up to chapter 2, verse 14 is the introduction of this book. And so hopefully we can finish all of this introduction today. There's no reason to draw out the introduction. Amen? Maybe just five hours. <laughs> so let's continue. So with this introduction, it's showing you the overall picture of Galatians. So let us be blessed. Amen. I, I thought maybe we should heal, but God says, no, today let's go directly into the Word. It's time for this reactor to start circulating so that it can apply tomorrow. And so let's begin with proclamation of the Word. And so remember, when it comes to Zoe ministry, it's all about the truth. The truth is the utmost priority. And so when the word enters, all things melt before it. All things burn before it. So let's continue. Let's move on. Oh, I feel good. I feel good. Is it because it's 20 years since we've established Zoe ministry? It's been 20 years since Zoe ministry began. And so who's been with me for 20 years? Over there, Pastor Iwanju. Why are you so far away? Do you not like me? Is it because after 20 years you're tired of me? Why are you so far away? Since it's been 20 years, you are now a grandfather. There's nowhere that I haven't gone with you. I'm grateful. Starting tomorrow, come down so that I can see you closer. <laughs> So on Wednesday, we'll have a celebration show for this 20-year for the, uh, so the pastors. Pastors with the ministr ministers, we will have this uh, celebration. 
and so I will uh, treat you to a meal. I asked them to find the most expensive buffet in this region and they found one because all they have is money. And so, moving on, are you ready? In this introduction, it is concerning calling. Calling equals your identity. When it comes to the world or the spirit, who calls you will determine your fate. And so for Zoe Ministry, I've been saying this for 20 years. That everywhere I go, what I say to the pastors is that if you in faith receive the one who has called you, then you have the victory. And yet it seems as if no one believes this all over the world. They think that they have to do something well, that they need power, they need ability. And so there's many people who are being deceived. When it comes to the church, God will take responsibility. God will take responsibility for His servants. And that if I am His servant, if I'm called to His servant, then this is game over. Because He will execute everything. And so if God, you do not take care of me, then I don't need to do pastors. Okay, why be a pastor if he's not going to take care of me? If I'm his servant, then why should I have to serve people? And so believing in he who has called me, and because he has called me, he will take responsibility over my life. And so if this faith is right, then when it comes to pastoral ministry, it's game over. God will dignify that church. That's how important your calling is. And so today, through Galatians, let us dig this well for this introduction. And so Paul is confirming his own identity, and he's also confirming the identity, the calling of the Galatians. God has called us. And so if we know who God is, and know what he has made in me, know what he has called me to, and I have faith in this, then my fate is already determined for victory. When Israel knows that they are God's people, wherever they may be in this world, God treats them with the dignity of his people. This is the most important thing. This is the essence of the Bible. Your calling equals your identity. And so everywhere in Zoe ministry, when I establish pastors, I always ask them, did God call you? And if they have this faith that God has called them, then that is now their responsibility to live by that calling. And because God has called them, they live by that calling. And so for the past 34 years, I have never been shaken in my calling. And I have never compromised in this respect. Even when I first established my church, I, 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 I could see 
I could see uh, that even though all these people are trying to help me out, I said, I don't need your help because God will take care of it. God will take care of it. And so in six months, we were already independent. That was my faith. That was my faith, and I had no compromise here. That if not, then it's not meant to be. Why should I be a servant to people? Why should I be a servant to money? And many people think that that is being a successful pastor, being a good servant to people. No, we are a good pastor when, when God is master over our lives. And so a servant doesn't need to go build up all these different things, establish all these different things. No, that's not, that's not a servant of God, but a servant of man. And so when it comes to calling, calling is the essence, is the source, is the source of our identity. And so first calling is as a child of God. And so when you receive this, then there's no reason to compromise with the world. There's no reason to seek after the world. There's no reason to look to the world. It's because we do not have this faith, that's why we keep chasing after the world. That's why we keep opening up our hands to the world, looking for what the world desires. What's and their mistake, their delusion, is that they think that they are poor because they do not have money. No, even with money, you could be poor. It's because they do not live with God. That's why they are dying. Because they do not have this identity that God has called them. Amen? This is the faith that we must have. If we do not have this faith in this first session, then we cannot continue on. Amen? And so let's talk about calling this night. And so I'll give you a minute. Think about it carefully. That have I truly lived with faith in my identity? Have I truly never compromised with my identity? Have I ever, like Esau, sold my birthright for a bowl of soup? If so, then above all else, this is what you need to repent in this conference. Because God, when He called you, has given such great nobility. And yet, have you sold that birthright for a bowl of soup? As a pastor, I've been called as servant of God. And I am a servant that belongs to God. And yet many times I think that I'm my own master. This is religion, this is legalism. That is the danger in those two things. And we'll talk about legalism throughout Galatians. But ultimately, when it comes to religion and legalism, you are your own master. Because what is legalism? Legalism is justification through your works. And so above all else, if religion or if, if legalism comes in, no matter what you may be thinking of yourself, it means that you are your own master. And we need to be able to recognize this truth. 
reason why these anti-truths and these and these and these legalism and religion still festers in us is because we keep giving it leeway. And I'll talk about this later when we go through legalism. But anyways. To some people, they cannot tell the difference between works and grace. That even when they pray, they pray in legalism, and so they have to take responsibility for what they pray. And so they pray very hard. And they think that if they pray really hard, it will solve all the problems. But the Bible doesn't say to pray hard. The, God, you know, the Bible says pray with all your heart. And everything is done through the grace of God. But you do not know whether it's grace or if it's legalism. Why? The reason is because you keep mixing the two. Let's say legalism 80%. And maybe grace every now and then 20%. To this kind of person, they cannot make a distinction between grace and works. If grace is 80% and every now and then works at 20%, then when works starts to move inside of them, when legalism starts to move, they start to suffer. This kind of person needs to have the Holy Spirit come upon them in order to pray. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit, they cannot even pray. And so, with, and so because you're constantly going back and forth in this border, you cannot tell the difference between works and grace. And in the same context, old self, new self. You don't know which is the new self. You don't know which is the old self. You cannot make that distinction. But it, because you live 80% in the old self and every now and then the new self. And so you cannot tell the difference between who is the new self and the old self. And so this is an emergency. This is There needs to be an alarm going off. And so really, we must know clearly the danger of legalism and, uh, and religion. It's the same thing with, with calling. If you truly receive your calling, then apart from that calling, you will not concern yourselves with anything else. You will not waste your energy on anything outside of your calling. That I will not uh, waste my energy on anything other than what I am a servant to be. If God tells me to uh, commit here, there's nowhere else I need to commit. Other people's ministries, no, I don't need to be interested in any of those things. Why? Because my calling is here. And so there's no compromise here. And this doesn't just apply to me, but it applies to you as well. If you live by your calling, God will take responsibility. And so as these days, as I see the servants of God, there's many pastors who say that they must have two jobs. But I mean, come on, is, is being a pastor a part-time job that you can have multiple jobs? No, is, is pastoral ministry a part-time job? No, 
it's not. It's not a part-time job. So I said the same thing to the Central Americans. If that's the re if that's the case, then why be a pastor? If God cannot take responsibility for your life, then why be a pastor? And so this is all about your calling. If truly God has called me, and He is God, then He should take responsibility. He must take responsibility. And so, same thing applies to you. If you're a child of God, then God should take responsibility. Amen? If God has adopted you as His child and yet He has no ability to take care of you, then what difference does it make if you go serve a different God or not? Right? It might be better for you to go to a Buddhist temple and, you know, uh, pray, pray for inner nirvana. <laughs> Right? It's better to do rituals and find inner peace. So listen carefully, brothers. When it comes to your identity, okay, without receiving this identity clearly, it's hard to move on, progress in Galatians. And so first of all, this is what you need to see today. Have you been able to truly receive your identity throughout your life? And so the more standard of this world you receive, and so of course, if you don't live by God, you live by the self, and because you live by the self, the word, world enters into you. And as that world enters into you, that standard, that standard becomes more, rea more of a reality to you than living before God. And so as you start to compare, you start to, for some reason, get drawn in into that worldly desires. And you keep trying to live your life according to those standards. That's why, for example, young adults, they have to wear their leggings in order to feel pretty. Right? They have to, you know, put earrings and get inked up with tattoos, you know, because they think that that is what's going to fulfill them. And so they do not believe that God has made them perfect. And so they keep trying to match themselves to the standards of this world. There's no one who has found happiness according to the standards of Babylon. But when we live by God, we truly find happiness. The, the name that I'm a child of God, there's nothing greater. There's nothing better. And so maybe think like this. Are you, you're the son of Samsung Group's director, uh, president. You may think that that would bring you happiness, right? But how much more if you are the son of the creator of all this universe? Then you would have no worries, right? That's why the Bible says, do not worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or what you'll wear. Right? Who is greater? As it says in Acts 24, that God has purchased his church by his blood. And so uh, I, the doctors told me, that that uh, that you that they don't pay for blood donations, 
but but think about the uh, it's because of the value of that blood right and so how much more that blood of God that blood of great worth has been spilt to purchase you and so would God not take responsibility for you of course he would and so God will absolutely will take responsibility of his church and so there's no need to worry and so there should be no concerns no worries in the church how can I prove to you that I do not worry do I worry And so let's talk about this identity first. This calling. Let's first look at this calling as an apostle. Chapter 1, verse 1. I'm excited for 20 years we've been meeting and I'm so excited Pastor Lee come down here so that I can give you a kiss for 20 years for 20 years we've been together oh Pastor Yongun Lee you're also here for 20 years we've been together I'm so excited. And so it says, not from men, not through men. Right, but Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I have become an apostle through that, right? And so who called Paul as his apostle? Jesus Christ. And when we say Christ, what does that signify? It signifies king. And that the king of all kings has called me. Who? The king who raised him from the dead. There is nothing more powerful than that, bringing the dead to life. The fact that he, remember that this world is depressed, is, is sad because of death. And yet the answer to death is in the hands of our God. And so even with just these two things, we understand that we have no need to worry. Christ has called me. The King of all kings, the King of God. God's King has called me. So there's no problem. There's no issue. All things is possible to Him. He is able. Right, life went after death is over, and so there was despair. But now death has been solved. In other words, God has given me the power of resurrection. And so with just these two things, if they are clearly ingrained in our hearts, then we, there's no need to worry. And so if we worry, it means you do not believe. You do not believe. That is the problem. You do not believe that Jesus is Christ. You do not believe one of the two things. 
Those who live based on their works do not believe in who he is. Because whatever I can do does not compare to what he can do. And so during this time in Central America, they would go crazy in response, answering, Amen, hallelujah. But Jonah, you are from Mozambique. You have that Latin blood. <laughs> I'm going to immigrate to Central America because Jonah is not living up to his identity. <laughs> when Central America, because they respond so warmly, I love them. And so all you in the back, all you religion in the back, <laughs> standing still, <laughs> come on, Jonah. <laughs> you should be astonished, Jonah. <laughs> Woo! Come on, Jonah, I know you can shake that butt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't respond to me. Respond to God who is speaking to you. Those idols, you know, those K-pop idols. When they come forward, kids go crazy, right? And so I told Central Americans, don't follow the trends of K-pop. I told them, don't wear your little uh, yoga pants. And all you who have boyfriends and girlfriends, break up with them. There's a kid named Nathan there. He sighed very deeply because he has a girlfriend. And he's thinking, oh, how do I break up with her? That's the weight that God's word should carry on you. Do not treat it lightly. God's word, be astonished by God's word. Amen? And so God has called him as an apostle. And when you believe in this, when you have firm belief in this, there's nothing else left. And so as I look back in my pastoral ministry, I have done nothing. All I have done is open my mouth and speak the words that God has given me. And so all I have done is speak those words and pray. Those are the only two things that I've done throughout my life. And so I felt sorry that, that I have done nothing. And yet, this is what God wants. Because He is the King of all kings. He is the one who should work, right? If I work, I cover over His power. And so in Jeremiah 32, 31, 33, what does it say? It says that he, God, is the, God is the one who works for us. God is the one who acts for us. And so all I have to do is what? It's just us. All I have to do is call out to Him, seek Him, and He works. And so already in this verse 1, when you believe in this relationship, it becomes clear how you are to live your life. It's not about me doing something. 
And so when you attempt to do something, what are you doing? Okay, you are, you move when he moves. Because he gives to you, you respond in his being. It's not me equals something directly. I've been proclaiming this for the past 20 years. And so the apostle says, not from men, not through men. And that means that he is not shaken by men. His calling, his identity is not is not defined by man. And so already we see that humanism is is excluded. And so when you are find yourself being shaken, it's because of this humanism. That when someone who you think is more superior to you criticizes you, you get influenced. And when someone you think is lower, inferior than you criticizes you, you're also affected. Right? That is humanism. But look at what Paul says, not from men, not through men. Me being an apostle is not because someone acknowledges me. It's not because people follow me. It's not because people say I am. And so for the past 20 years as I've been doing this ministry, I have never directly told pastors to do this or to do that. Even my associate pastors. Because they are not my servants, they are God's servants. And so it's not going to be done through my words. God has established them, so God commands them. And so whatever they decide, I respect them. I respect what their decision is. That if they're going to leave, I respect, I respect it. Because a pastor's decision is between the pastor and God. There's no need for me to intervene. So this must be clear. It's not of men or through men. And so when you look at chapter 2, verse 18, it ta- he talks clearly about how he does not compromise in this relationship with men. Oh, chapter 1, verse 18, sorry. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Kephas and remained with him 15 days. And so, this is based on his time of when he visited Jerusalem. So there's no need to complicate things. Around AD 27, Paul met with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And then he directly goes to the Arabian Desert. Right, chapter 1, verse 17. Right, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. And then briefly returned to Damascus. That's around AD 32. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. 
So it should be around AD 35. So this is his second visit to Jerusalem. Now the dates are not that important, but... But he went up to Kephas and he saw no other disciples except for James. And he said that this is not a lie. And so he's saying that he's not going looking for the acknowledgement of the apostles that came before him in order to be acknowledged as an apostle. And so it says that he goes to various places, right? To Syria and Cilicia. That's not really important in this context, though. But look, in 23... Oh, wait, no. Moving on to chapter 2. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. So what does this 14 years signify? It's 14 years from his first visit to Jerusalem. And so this is AD 40, around AD 40, his first missionary trip to Jerusalem. And so time frame wise, from AD 27 until AD 44, about 17 years, spent most of his time uh, standing before God in Arabia. Now, every now and then, he would go back and forth between Damascus, from Tarsus, to Jerusalem. But the most of the time, he was spending this time dwelling in the desert of Arabia. That's what's being described here. And then, so after 14 years, he goes up to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Around 80, 45. Uh, 49, sorry, 49. And then it talks about what he did while he was there. I went up because of a revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. So I'll talk about this revelation a little bit later. But there are nine elements to this reactor of the gospel in Galatians. And so when you eat this word of Galatians, these nine elements will be embodied inside of you. And they will be the fuel that powers your reactor. One of those elements is the gospel. And so revelation and grace, faith, righteousness, promise, uh, heirs, inheritance, Holy Spirit, and then freedom. These nine elements are we're going to see circulating throughout the book of Galatians. Now, of course, we'll also talk about the cross. But the cross is not one of those elements, but rather it's the source, right? The source of where all these elements flow. And so the difficulty of Galatians is that these nine elements seem like they are separated and scattered, but they are circulating very well.
dwell in this book. And so when you receive salvation, these nine elements must have been continually activated within you. And so let's say I believed, I've met with God and it's been one year and it's been activating for a year and then 10 years. Then it should have been activated for 10 years, 20 years, 20 years, 30 years, 30 years. And so if you have received salvation properly, then this should have been continually activated so that you could move without energy. And so imagine the, the, the wattage, the strength of that uh, power. And so this is the state that you should be rising up to. And yet, the fact that we have not been able to is proof that something is broken or you have not received salvation. One of those two things. But if you have received God properly, then this reactor should be moving within you. And so every moment by moment, it should be uh, dynamically moving inside of you. So for example, with Yerbang Church, because I'm continually changing in the front, they follow. But when eventually they'll start to, I will start to fade away from their vision. And when I fade away, they cannot follow anymore. They'll be like, Pastor, where are you? Why? Because they, they, because they don't know where to go. Pastor, where are you? So how much longer are you going to keep waiting? Do I have to keep waiting for you? Okay. All of a sudden, it's getting cold. And so, if you look, and so I went up and and laid before them the gospel that I proclaim among the gospels. In order to make sure I was not running or I had run in vain. So he's talking to the 12 apostles, right? So that means he met with them privately. It's not so that he could be acknowledged by them. Rather, to present before him his calling as an apostle is not to be acknowledged by them. This is really important. This is really, really important. I wish you would understand the gravity of this. That if you know your identity, if you start to doubt your, your identity, then automatically humanism starts to move inside of you. Automatically, you start to look to people to define you. You look to people to 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 define or not define you to 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 acknowledge you and so without that you start to feel lonely and you start to find difficulty and this is dangerous and so I say to my members all the time that never once for a moment have I ever been lonely now I might feel lonely in October because I'm going to Africa and my wife is going to Central America oh what should I do? We're going to be separated. 
I'm going to meet black people and she's going to meet white people. Actually, they're brown, but it's okay. <laughs> Latin Americans, not that many of them are white, only some of them, right? Most of them are brown. Some of them are black too. <laughs> And so never once in my life have I ever felt lonely. Not once. Even now, I'm not afraid. I may be alone, but I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of people. I'm not afraid of money. Why should I be afraid? Because only God should I fear. There's nothing to fear but God alone. And so there's no reason for me to appeal to man. I do not waste my energy. And so what does he say in 2 Timothy? He says that though I seem unknown, I am well known to all. Because as long as God, the King of all kings, the creator of the universe knows me and acknowledges me, then what else do I need to sell to? Though I may seem poor and yet bringing riches to all people. Why? Because God acknowledges me. And so God enriches all through me. Amen. <laughs> And so I think I'm still jet lagged from Central America because I'm still used to Central America. Okay, because I've been around the world so many times. Last week it was all Spanish, right? Now all of a sudden Chinese. And so I speak to them in Spanish. Instead of saying xie I say gracias. <laughs> he doesn't even remember gracias. <laughs> Obrigado. My, my head is spinning within me. The next month I got to use English. Let's continue. And so Paul considers this really important. And so that uh, I, I to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. Because Paul lives before God, and if he brings it before man, then it all flies away. If he tries to be acknowledged by man, it's all in vain. And that's what Paul is afraid of, that he, he doesn't want to be acknowledged. He doesn't want it to be seeking acknowledgement of man. We need to rely on God alone. Let's look to God alone. Are you listening to God's word? Okay, so let's continue. Uh, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So we'll see this later in chapter 1, verse 17. Even when it comes to the gospel, Paul will not compromise. Because God is the one who has called me. As God's apostle, I will not seek acknowledgement of man. Listen carefully, pastors, saints. Your identity will determine your victory. If you will bet your life on your identity, God will respond. 
Now, of course, there is a time, a grace period, where God is shaping you, forming you. There are times where you will doubt. And, and yet there's some people who even after 10, 20, 30 years still doubt. But after one year, my identity was determined before God. And so God says, you pass. In one year. Already I could, even now I hear that, you pass. And so to other people who doubt all the time, when God takes away their money, they, they start to doubt their identity. And when they have money, they think that they're all that. They think that they're the stuff. And so with this, with this opportunity, let us pass the test about our identity. Amen? That God cannot entrust His glory to those who are not sure of their identity. I say clearly again. So look, when it comes to Christian life, when it comes to pastoral ministry, it's not about your technique. There's so many people who cannot understand this, who cannot grasp this. Because the standard of the world is so deeply ingrained into them, they think that they need technique, they need knowledge, they need experience. They think that they need to build up to something great. No, when it comes to living with God, that's not what it's about. God is the master of this universe. What more technique do you need? What more ability do you need? Whether you have or don't have has no meaning before Him. And so if you do not, if you are not aware that everything comes from your relationship to God, that means you have not even taken that first step. Let's say you don't have money. Do not be tripping over the fact that you do not have money. You should rather be concerned about your relationship with God. That Lord, why do I have this issue of money in my relationship with you? It should be about your relationship with God first. Because we know that I am not to suffer because of money. Then we should at least, at the very least, know why I don't have money, right? Ah, because there's greed flowing inside of me. Ah, because God is preparing me to receive a great blessing in the future. Who knows what it is, but you need to find that in your relationship with God. So whatever it may be, whether it's people, money, uh, power, authority, whatever it may be, it must all be unraveled in the light of your relationship to God. Amen? And so I am a child of God. And so whatever happens to you, nothing happens in coincidence. Even a bird falling from the sky does not happen without God willing it. How much more you who are more worth more than, the, than a bird? Raise your hand. Are you worth less than a bird? No, you are all worth more than a bird. And so everything that happens to you happens for a reason. There's nothing that happens to you in coincidence. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 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 
So move on to verse 3. And so even Titus was not forced to be circumcised. And so remember, Galatians is, the problem with Galatians is legalism. And what is the source of legalism? Is that though they were saved by grace, they think that their actions complete that grace or that salvation. That is the Catholic theology, right? Catholic theology thinks this way. The characteristic of legalism is by force. Even though I don't want it, I do it because I need to, right? That That is the characteristic of legalism. And so this is directly going against grace. So we'll talk about this in Galatians 5. But the most important way to keep the gospel is living by grace. And as I said earlier, that if you are constantly going back and forth between works and grace, you will not know whether you are living by grace or by works. Remember, what is grace? Living by the gift that God gives. That if He does not give, I cannot live. And so the greater the measure of grace over you, you understand what I'm talking about. That if God doesn't give, I do not even make the attempt. So those of you in the back, are you listening? Because this conference is so important, I cannot leave any of you behind. So let us all be vigilant. Let us all be alert because God's glory is going to pass through. Amen? For each and every single one of you in this 20-year anniversary, all of us, God's glory is going to pass us by. Let us all repent so that Zoe Ministry's truth can be perfected. That the scale and the color of God's work will be completely transformed. That the proclamation brings about work. How amazing will that truly be? It's not because of our excellence, but because this season is upon us. The season of God to establish His remnant. And so if you are still going back and forth between works, that is a pity. And so remember, this coercion, this force is the opposite of grace. And so what is this force? It is this exclusivist exclusivity, right? I'm better than you, superiority. And so look at how much Paul does not compromise with the gospel. This happened while he was in Antioch. Right, Peter, as he was living with the Gentiles, ate with the Gentiles. And he ate very well. 
Right, we saw this in Acts of the Apostles. Right, so maybe what Peter ate pork and whatever. Right, and he enjoyed it. He loved it. But the moment James sent his people to Antioch, all of a sudden, he says, I will not eat. And there's no reason to do so. Right, that's what we see in verse 13, right? And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. And so what? And so they ate, they refused to eat. And so even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And so Paul grabs him by the neck. Verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So see, look at how much he does not compromise. Right? Through the gospel, we have this freedom to enjoy a meal with all the Gentiles. And yet the moment the Jews showed up, right, he moved back. To, to this law. And so if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, right, because he just was living like a Gentile, right, he did not live like a Jew. Right, then how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so right here we see an issue with identity, the identity of the gospel. And so Paul grabs him by the neck. And so your calling, if you are clear in your identity, then there is no compromise. And so Paul, of course, he would be chosen as this great uh, role model for the 2,000-year history of the church. Because in everything, there is no compromise. No compromise at all. If you compromise, then you cannot bring about God's history. Right? So let us be sharp like swords. So let's not try to mix Zoe ministry with other things. Let's not try to mix with other ideologies. Let us rise on wings of eagles, right? Zoe ministry is not about technique. If you are here to learn a technique, then already I would have left this place long time ago. It's not about technique. It's about your calling. Apart from truth, there is nothing else. I will not compromise this truth with anything else. That's the season that's upon us. It's because you do not understand spirituality, the spiritual realm that you think that it's okay to mix this and that. And you think that it's okay to make, make a mixed stew. No, it's only the pure gospel. This pure, unadulterated, unadulterated, unfiltered gospel. So let's continue. So verse 4. We're moving back to chapter 1, verse 4. Sorry, okay, maybe not chapter 1, verse 4. 
Chapter 2, verse 4. Yet because of the false brothers secretly brought in, right, these spies. Chapter 2, verse 4. So because of false brothers who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Remember that the truth alone sets you free. We'll talk about freedom later. But remember that uh, amongst the, the nine elements, freedom is very important. And so this freedom was given to us. But these anti-truths, these false truths, take that freedom away from you. And so spiritually speaking, if you live by legalism, it means sin is living in you. And so the more you live by the law, the more you are bound by sin. If you live by the law, you do not even know that you are sinning. Sin becomes becomes trivial to you. So that's what Romans says clearly. Romans 7 says clearly that when you live by the law, you are living by jaw by, by sin. And so the more the law is inside of you, the more that sinful nature is growing inside of you. Though you may be continually attending church, you are mixing sin into that church when you live by the law. So you may think to yourself, I may be strong in legalism, but I do not sin. Right? That's what the Jews say. Right? Jews, they commit many sins outside of the law. Right? They just do not realize that it is a sin. And so when you live, when law is alive in you, it means sin is alive in you. And so let's talk about freedom very briefly. Freedom doesn't mean to be able to do whatever you want. Freedom is not just doing whatever you want. Freedom is a fish. When is a fish truly free? When he's surrounded by water, right? Freedom is when you are doing what you are built to do, right? And what are we built to do? We are built to live in God's grace. And so those who are moving according to the plan of God, that is true freedom. Okay, so look, look at this paper. This paper is free, right? Is it free? This is not freedom. Let's say that I want to send this paper to Yeji. And that is the goal, right? To go to Yeji. Then that means it is most free when it goes to Yeji. But when I send it like this, it's not going to go straight to Yeji, right? What do I have to do? I have to stick it next to something, right? I have to make give it weight, right? It has to have weight. And so sh will it be able to go to Yeji or not? Right, because it's completely attached to this weight. This is true freedom. Because, because of this weight, this paper can go where it's meant to go. That is freedom. And so fundamentally, freedom isn't being, being set free from slavery. Now that is a part of it, but that is not all of it, right? True freedom is the freedom of a king. And so let's say that our soul goal is a wrestler. But let's say we bind her up, then she cannot do anything. 
And so even though she may be strong as a wrestler, she cannot do anything if she is bound in chains. And so that's the same thing with legalism. The more you live by the law, the more you are binding yourself. And so, do you understand what I'm saying? Am I translating well, Jonah? Okay. Are you sure? Are you free? Are you free like the like the bee? Yeah, flying to flower and flower. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm making it hard for Daniel. He has to edit all this. <laughs> well, I mean, Pastor Kim is having his fun, so I can have my fun, right? <laughs> be free like the bee. Yes, that you have been meant to be. Oh, yes. Hannah, you too. Whether you're in Africa or Korea, you are free because God's will is here. So anyways, let's continue. And so he is not bound to men. Because, and so this is so that the truth of the gospel would be amongst you, right? This is one of Paul's characteristic, right? Uh, right? Uh, gospel and truth, right? It is the gospel, but it is also true. And so the gospel must be your only standard. And so in other words, if you are bound to men, the gospel cannot be the truth to you. Because there are many spiritual works, uh, spirits moving in us. And so, for example, the spirit of the world, the spirit of humanism, the spirit of legalism, almost all of these three, well, most of the time, these three things move together as one package. These three almost always move as one package. And so to this person, the, they cannot hear the word of God as truth. They just imitate. And so if the truth is truth in me, when I hear the gospel, then my proclamations will never fall to the floor. That, uh, that if God says I die, I die. If God says I live, I live. This becomes characterized in me. This is evidence that God's truth has been, uh, God's gospel has been a truth in you. And, but if you're constantly falling to humanism, to worldliness, to legalism, if these are moving inside of you, it's all going to keep binding you. It takes away your freedom, takes away your freedom. And so we'll talk about this freedom in chapter 5. We'll talk about this freedom officially in chapter 5. And so in this conference, we need to discover these bindings inside of us. Amen. And we need to loosen these bindings. Amen. And so for the past 20 years, though I've been proclaiming this gospel, I say that what? You have to feel the taste of freedom. You have to know the taste of freedom. And what is that? It's when you are completely under the reign of the truth, that the truth completely surrounds you. Then you will feel, you will taste that freedom. 
And so I cannot teach it to you. You need to taste it for yourself. And this season that is upon us is a season for us to taste it. Amen? And so when you taste that freedom, then you will no longer want to be bound. It will become impossible to bind you. That as it says in the Bible in Hebrews, do not bind yourself again because you are not a being to be bound. Those who have tasted that freedom, they cannot stand by being bound again. Let's say you are wealthy and you become poor. That's possible, right? But let's say that you are filthy rich and you all of a sudden lose all your money. They cannot live any longer. They cannot live any longer. That's why those kinds of people commit suicide. Right? Even just going from freedom to slavery is difficult. But imagine if you are a king, a prince, and then you become a slave. It becomes impossible for you to live. And so if you taste that kingly freedom once, then you can no longer be shackled. You will no longer tolerate slavery. Legalism makes it easier for you to be tied to men, tied to people. And so because it becomes easier, you do not realize the hurt that you are suffering. This is the this is the season that we have right now. It's for these bindings to be loosened and taste true freedom. And so even if that binding were to approach you in this season, immediately you would loosen it. And so try, try right now to live binding your hands, how difficult would it be? Or try living blindfolding yourself, how difficult it would be. Right? If you blindfold yourself, how would you know where you're going, right? Right? Where would you? You would not be able to see Hannah. Hannah, where are you? Hannah, where are you? And so people who could see all of a sudden are blinded. For a while, their life is very difficult, right? It's the same thing. If you have tasted freedom in God, it becomes impossible to be bound again. If you know God's dignity, if you believe in that dignity that He has given you, maybe two humanistic people, they may seem cold, they may seem hard. But no, it's not that they do not have love. They have love, right? I love you, right? You can feel my love, yes? Right? You know that I love you, yes? Do I love you or not? But, and yet, I am rough around the edges. But the reason why I'm rough around the edges is because I have received God's dignity. Understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen carefully. And so look, legalism, humanism, worldliness, the more this binds you, the less God's word becomes your truth. And this is not something that we can mix and walk go 
God calls you absolutely to his kingdom and he absolutely gives you his gifts as grace then you cannot mix other things into that and so that's why it is necessary for us to be sanctified and it is necessary for us to go to glorification it is necessary for us to live out that predestination that God has given us what is his predestination for you to be holy and blameless why why does the Bible right the Bible does not say anywhere that just be saved and go to heaven no the Bible says clearly that you have been predestined to be holy and blameless because what God has given you has that power has that force and this is not about you making being successful on this earth and so ultimately your goal is not for what happens on this earth but when you stand before him on that day in his glory right you are not looking to make something of this earth right amen amen in the back amen I think too much spirit of religion is, is circulating in here. Okay, China, did you bring all your religion? Malaysia, it's you who brought your religion, right? No? If not, then I guess that's Korea. Korea. Mozambique? No, no, no. Are you sure? <laughs> Okay, and so, uh, and, and so he realizes that it's not the people who have given him the gospel. Man is not the one who has entrusted it. It's God, right? On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter has been entrusted with the gospel, right? Uh, blah, 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 blah. So moving on to verse 7. No, so verse 6, and so, who seemed influential, added nothing to me, right? People did not add anything to them. And then so verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel of the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been uncircumcised with the gospel of the circumcised, right? It's what has God called you to? God has called Paul to what? To be uh, the apostle to the uncircumcised. And so if we know our calling, game is over. It's because he has called me, he will make me in that calling. Right? If he has called me as an apostle, he will make me his apostle. If he has called me as his servant, he will make me into his servant. If he has called me as his child of God, he will make me into his child. Right? It's because he has called me to righteousness that he makes that righteousness in me. And so it's all by his grace. It's all a gift. Amen? He has given me all things. And so it's now normal for it to become easier and easier as you live with God. And you understand that living for God is the only reason for living. 
And so the more you live your life and it becomes harder, then that means something is wrong. Your Christian life should be simplified, easier, easier as you live your life. That is natural. As I always say, the older you get, the less burden you should have to go to glory. Right? Everything should get easier and easier. Everything should be lighter and lighter. Why are you not saying amen, pastors? Right? Look at me. Look at me. Right? It becomes easier and easier to live with God. Right? Even when I preach, it's so easy, right? Right? My, my preaching is so simple. Only two hours these days. Right? Only two hours. Right? Even my sermons are simple. Why? I just open my mouth and the words come flowing out. Right? So easy. And same thing with you businessmen. Right? Businessmen, it's not me doing something. I, it's in God and so it becomes easier and easier. God gives and I receive. Right? That's the principle that it must be. This is Sabbath. This is what it, Sabbath means. Right? That I rest. Right? Right? If you see the pastor preaching and it seems difficult for him, then that's something wrong, right? It's easy, right? I don't have to like, I don't have to uh, squeeze it out, right? No. Everything gets easier and easier, right? Easier. And so look, they, they married recently. And so their marriage life is not going to be easy right now, right? Because they are learning to live with one another. But as they live 30 years with one another, it gets easy. Right? All you have to do is give them a look. And that look tells them everything, right? Wow, Jonah, you're, you're, you're nodding your head like you've been married like 40 years. <laughs> right? With just the, 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 the look, you say everything, right? That how much you love them, what, what you want to, what you need, right? This is all made through them matching with one another. And it's the same thing as you live with God. Right? You you are you are adjusting to him, right? Now of course because God is perfect, he doesn't need I don't adjust him. But but everything is a relationship, right? We are we are aligning ourselves to him. And so God experiences me and I experience God. God wants to know you more. How amazing is that? God who is almighty, all knowing, wants to know you. This is amazing, right? This is amazing grace. If you believe in this, you would be shocked in awe. Think about it. Think about it. Let's say I already know. I already know that, that she likes flowers. And then, so let's say I bring her flowers, right? Right? <laughs> 
Right, right. Okay, so when I know, you can, uh, you can, uh, wait, what? Sorry, one moment. Okay, God wants to know you, right? He wants to know you deeper. How amazing is that? And so, why when we live with God should we ever feel lonely? There's no need to feel lonely, right? God is with us. And so, why should there be a problem? This should not be a theory, but truth to you. Truth to you. Not theory, but truth. This doesn't happen overnight, but but as you live with God, as you have this relationship with God, it becomes built inside of you. Right? And so our relationship to God also needs to experience a Sabbath. And so for the most part, my prayers, because I'm in the Sabbath rest with God, I don't ask Him for anything. Because God knows. God knows what I need and He's already fulfilling it. And so last week, last week on Sunday, there was this amazing testimony, right? I, I, I received a little bit of money. And so I thought I need to offer this for this conference. And so I offered $10,000. And I didn't even offer it yet. I just had that heart. And the moment I had that heart, I didn't have $10,000, but God gave me $10,000. How amazing is that? The moment I had that will to offer $10,000, God gave me that $10,000. And so it's not because I asked God for $10,000. I just had this faith that I'm going to offer $10,000. I don't pray, God, give me this, give me that. No, it's just a relationship. Amen? It's not theory. This must become easy to you. So verse 9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. And so by AD 49 already, James was the head of the Church of Jerusalem. This is amazing, right? That, that he became the head. James was the younger brother of Jesus. And he didn't believe Jesus when Jesus was alive. But in that short amount of time, he became the overseer, the bishop. Right? This is Sabbath rest of faith. And this the Sabbath rest of faith of James made him so that he transcended all the other men. And so James and Kephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived, perceived that they have the calling to be the ministers to the to the uncircumcised. And so we have about we have several associate pastors. And so I'm an excellent pastor, and so that's why I'm the head pastor, and they are bad pastors. That's why they're associate pastors. No, no, it's about calling. God has called me to be a head pastor. Everything in this world moves according to the principle of God's calling. Amen? And so we must know our calling. Amen? 
And so we've just finished verse 1 of chapter 1. <laughs> okay, now verse 10, we see the calling to the servant. And so, uh, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Right? Am I seeking approval of man or of God? Right? Is he seeking approval of men? No, he's seeking approval of God. And he's trying to please God, right? If he was to please man, he would not be a servant of Christ, as he says. And so whatever we do, we need to strive to please God. Humanism tr always tries to please man, tries to appeal to man. And so already you are missing the mark. And so whatever you do, the focus must be, are you pleasing God or not? Is God pleased? If not, then you should stop. That is the essence of your calling. And so it's because when these servants are centered on God, that God will take responsibility for their life. If you do not believe that God is the one who has called me, then by, necess by necessity you try to please man. You, tr you put emphasis on the wrong places. This is proof of that you do not recognize who has called you. If God has called you, then you will try to please God. And so what is God trying to do? Whenever I have a conference, that's what I'm always focused on. What is God wanting to do? Is God working? Then if so, then, then nothing else. I do not need to worry about anything. Whether how much it costs, or what kind of people come, what kind of interruptions come. I don't need to worry about any of those things. For the past 20 years, this is how I have run my conferences. Is God pleased? And not just conferences, but in everything, right? Whether it's Panama or Costa Rica, right? What is God trying to do in this conference? What is God pleased with in this conference? And so Israel, no matter how expensive it gets, it, what is God trying to do? Is it God's will? Is God trying to do something? Does God want it? If so, then let's go. If God wants it, then let's go. And never once have I missed the mark then. If God has wanted it and God is pleased, then He has always provided. He has always filled. And so for 20 years, we have all experienced this. So not once have I worried that, oh, I don't have money. Will we be able to make this payment? Even Costa Rica, when we had 900 pastor, pastors gathered, right? I told them to gather a thousand. But they said that the only hotel could fit 900. So I didn't ask the difference in the money. No, they just told me later six million or six hundred thousand. And what did it please God? It pleased God. And so God filled it up. 
And so the servant, all he needs to worry about is the will of his master. So whether he can or not, whether he can provide or not, that is not my, my worries. If, if I worry about that, that means I am master of my own life. And so listen carefully. So this scale, is your scale based on your master or is your scale defined by your own self? If you move by your own scale, then unbeknownst to you, you are not serving God as your master. You are the master. You must be clear on this. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so pleased with Zoe Ministry in Malaysia. From their size of their church, they cannot host these kinds of conferences. They are very poor. And yet, they take responsibility and they provide. Why? Because they believe in God. Even Sabah, right? The hotels in Sabah, they're... And yet, this is normal for them to take that responsibility. That is normal for their faith to rise up. Are you the master that you take responsibility? And so that's why every moment you are chasing after something. And so in this day and age, right, you have to see each individual as a nation, right? As a. Uh, anyways, anyways. And so we saw the calling to apostle and calling to servant. Third servant is our third calling is the calling to the church. And so fundamentally, calling. You have your fundamental calling, right? Calling to Jesus Christ. That uh, this calling is as common to all. Right? The moment you are saved, you have been called to Jesus Christ and have been called to salvation. But you do not have a single calling. You can call, we can divide it to several different categories. But for example, let's say your workplace. That is a calling. You are going there because God called you. And so life is about confirming your calling everywhere you go. This is really important. And so if Jesus has called you, you are a child of God. And then the second calling you need to confirm is your calling to your church. This is really important in our church. And it's not just our church. But whoever you are as a child of God, this is really important. You're calling to the church. Am I called to this church? Is this church where I will grow spiritually and receive God's blessing? You need to confirm that. And so where is the church that I should go? The church of God. If you do not go to a church of God, then you will die. And so the church you attend, is it a church of God? Because God is not going to call His children to somewhere that doesn't belong to Him. 
Just because the sign says Church of God doesn't mean it's the Church of God. So how can we know that this church is God's church? Of course, this requires many, 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 many sermons. But first of all, look at the leader. Is the, through that head pastor, you will know if he is a, if this is a church of God or not. As it says in Matthew 16, right, he says to Peter, "Upon this rock I build my church." And so, upon Peter, it, it's Jesus Christ Himself, right? And so, upon that confession that Peter make, the church is established. And so when you look at that head pastor, right, well, for in this case, Peter, right, that confession that he made is proof that he has met with God clearly. And because he met with God clearly, he is, that is evident in his confession, that is evident in his life, and upon that rock, that church is built. And so when you look at your head pastor, is it evident that he has met with God? Is it evident that he is living, that God is manifest in his life? And so what is clear evidence? of that, the truth is proclaimed. And so Paul, what does he say? That he has been entrusted uh, by God, right? Uh, God entrusts his gospel to his servant. And so to all the pastors here, are you... Oh, wait, sorry, one moment. Okay, that truth needs to be manifest in you. Because you cannot do it on your own, right? You cannot be a pastor on your own. God needs to uh, be in you. And so we must have that truth and that glory and His truth needs to be inside of you. That freedom, that power, that authority all must manifest. This is characteristic of a servant called by God. There must be glory and freedom. And so, one moment. So God cannot entrust His church to spies, cannot entrust them to non-servants. He cannot give Himself to those who are not giving themselves to Him. And so if, because if that is the case, then this pastoral ministry becomes a business. It just becomes a means to, to provide for their livelihood. And so why does it say, right, why does it say uh, that, the, that the gates of, the, of Hades will not overcome the church? Why not say Satan? It says the gates of Hades because uh, gates of Hades or the abyss is symbolizing this earth, right? What's on this earth, the principality of this earth, the powers of this earth will never overcome the church. And so, and so where is the church of God? That is up to you to find. That is up to you to find where God is calling you. And so I always say to my church members, let's say that they, let's say that if they leave our church, by any chance they leave our church, then whatever church you go to next, go to a church of God. So, so, 
So the calling of God or the calling to his church. And so this is really important. Are you living as a member of his body? If you are not growing spiritually, this may be a personal issue. It may be because you are not living your life properly. But fundamentally, fundamentally, listen carefully, this is fundamentally. If a child of God is belongs to a church of God, then throughout his life he must grow until the day he dies. That is normal in the Holy Spirit. There is no uh, limit. Right? In your body, your cells are continually growing and continually dying and continually dying. When it stops, what happens? When it stops, that becomes a cancer. It must be continually transforming inside of you. It's the same thing with your spirit. Your spirit grows until the day you die. Continually growing. This is the principle. And so if growth stops, then, then you need to take emergency measures. And so do not treat lightly, stop being stopped or, or not growing. Okay. Do not be deceived into thinking, oh, I've been a Christian for 30 years and so I've grown all I can. No. That is deception. Until you take your very last breath, God will continually transform you. God will continually renew you. And so there are two reasons for this problem. Let's say that the church has no problem, but personal issue, then you might stop. But let's say that you are okay that you pray and you yearn for God and you are looking to God, then the problem is the church. Now, there may be other elements involved, but ultimately it's these two things. Is it you or is it the church? And so I'm not saying, I'm not saying to judge your pastors, but I'm saying is God manifest in your pastor, right? I'm not saying judge his sermon. Does he preach well or not? No. It's is God manifest in him? And so for 25 years ago, I, I said, I and for the past 25 years, I've been saying the same thing. But it still means you should be transformed. Because even though I'm saying the same thing, God is providing new things through that anointing. New anointing, new power, new authority, new signs and wonders. My character, all characters, is all being transformed. And because of the essence of who we are as the church of God, we can continually, continually grow. 
And so this is really important to understand as the being of the church. And in this great tent that is Zoe ministry, why is it important that you are a church in Zoe ministry? Because under this tent, we are united as the true church of God. Now, of course, when you try to mix this with other truths, you, you will not succeed. But to those who are going directly well with this truth, God will form your church and will build up your church. And so let us give thanks to God that we are His church. Amen? And so for 20 years, this is what I've been proclaiming to Zoe Ministry. That let us live by the essence of the church. We must recognize the essence of the church. It's not about me preaching well. No, I preach because I am the church. I preach because the, under, according to the principle of the church, all of his abundance flows forth. That's what I've been proclaiming for the past 20 years. And yet there's still some people who refuse to believe this. Am I preaching out of my studies? Am I preaching out of my, 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 my research? No. Believe in the essence of the church. And so that's what we need to believe. Amen? So let's look at this church. Chapter 2, verse 1. And so through Galatians, everything that we've done for the past 20 years will be revealed. Whether it's Christology, uh, Ecclesiology, uh, uh, Holy Spirit, Doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Everything that you've been hearing for the past 20 years, let us reconfirm it through Galatians. Amen? That oh, I have been living by this truth. That oh, I'm believing in this truth. That evidence of this truth are being manifest in my life. That is the season that is upon us. Amen? And so in this season, let us confirm as being the remnant. And though we have a short time, let us enter deeply into His glory. Amen? Amen. And so, and then we'll seal this in Israel together. Amen? Now, of course, if you can't go to Israel, you'll see that glory here. Verse 2. I'm not sure if we're on chapter 1, verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 2. One moment. Ah, okay. Chapter 1, verse 2. And all the brothers who are with me, right? Because Paul has established many churches, all of them are part of one body. It's the same thing like Zoe ministry, right? Through Zoe ministry, we are all one body. Amen? And so Paul is also called to Galatians, to the church in Galatia. Galatia. Gal 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 G
So here we see this word brothers. So who are whose brothers? They are not calling each other brothers, but because Jesus is our brother, I am brother to Jesus, and in that relationship we are brothers to one another. And so when we call each other brothers, what is in the background is the holiness that Jesus Christ pours out upon us. As it says in Hebrews 2.12, that he who is holy and those who are being made holy are of the same source. And so he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And so this holiness is the essence, that we are the same source, we are the same essence. And so in the church, when we call each other brothers, this comes with the responsibility of holiness. And so already in just calling each other brothers, we are giving our lives for one another. We are not just brothers, but we are brothers because of the holiness that Jesus Christ has poured out upon us. And so this this title brothers is not to be taken lightly it means that we can die for one another and so when I say that this there's this responsibility don't take it as a burden just receive it in faith receive it in faith that Jesus Christ has fulfilled all righteousness and has given me holiness and so all I have to do is receive that holiness then immediately I, I am characterized by that holiness why is this possible because he has made all impossibility into po to be possible all we have to do is believe and so all we have to do is believe and so listen carefully when I say it's impossible we think of many things don't think that way it's not because of many things that it's impossible it's impossible because I do not believe that's how simple it is it's because I doubt if I believe there's nothing that is impossible there's no reason there's nothing that is impossible and so when you find that there's something impossible it's because you know that there is no you understand that it's because you lack faith right don't complicate things just make it simple as that so you may think many things right let's say you pray for healing and, and and there's no healing. You could think of many things, but no, 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 no. You don't need to factor all of those things. Okay, one time in the meeting of the pastors, Pastor Yoon asked me this question. He said, I proclaimed in faith and yet healing didn't happen. What's the problem? Is it my faith? Is my faith the problem? And so I said to him, no, when that happens to me, I don't do that. I say it's your faith. <laughs> your faith is the problem. And so he felt free. He goes free by that. And so whenever he goes healing, you are the problem, not me. <laughs> that shouldn't be the case, right? And so Pastor Yoon these days, his characteristic is, I'm not the problem, you are the problem. <laughs> so 
So moving on. So that's the calling of the church. What's the important thing here? The, that God, you must be called to God's church. That the church that I serve is God's church. Without that faith, and yet you're still attending that church, then you are binding yourself. You must be sure that the church you serve is God's church. If so, then you will continually grow, like the church in Thessalonica. Right? Even after only three weeks, that because they received the word of that Paul preached as God's word, in three weeks that church started to fly on wings, that the news of their faith spread all over Asia. And so if you believe it is God's word, the news of your faith will grow. That this is God's church. Then glory will manifest. If you are sure that this is God's church, glory will manifest. Amen? And so don't serve the church out of obligation, out of humanism. Do not be deceived, okay? You are choosing, you are choosing. Okay, do not uh, serve a church because of humanistic relationships. Do not serve a church because of humanistic reasons. You will destroy one another. For 25 years, one thing that if I could boast, I boast of, is that I never had a humanistic relationship with any of my church members. It was always a spiritual relationship, always a relationship with God in the middle. Raise your hand if you think you have a personal relationship with me. Really, raise your hand that I have a personal relationship. If you do not receive my the gospel that I preach in faith, I cannot have a fellowship with you. Truly. And if there is that relationship, I do not put much weight on that. I do not put much value. I'm just waiting for that person. Because if they cannot receive the word and spiritually they are not growing, I cannot put much value on that relationship. Because my standard is the kingdom of heaven. And so pastors, it's dangerous to have humanistic relationships, personal relationships. It must always be spiritual relationships. And so fourth is calling to sainthood. And so let's end here today with the calling to the sainthood. And tomorrow morning we'll do the, uh, the, 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 the calling to gospel. So what are we doing tomorrow afternoon? Okay, tomorrow afternoon we'll have healing ministry. Okay, and so during the worship, there will be much healing, much deliverance. 
And so today, God told me to make an exception and begin by turning on the reactor of the word, of the gospel, okay? So let's look at the calling to sainthood, verses 13 to verse 17. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Right, Paul is talking about his earlier testimony. And if we talk about the principle of Ephesians 4.11, we talk about these four systems, right? These four systems is to make perfect uh, their ministry, their service. And so one of the uh, incorrect principles of the church is they think that missionaries is for special people. No. If I am a member of the church, at any moment I can be ready for missions. Right? If you look at 1 Corinthians, it's the same thing, right? Paul sends any all the saints to missions. And so if the church moves according to God's uh, principle, then the Holy Spirit will, whoever may the Holy Spirit desires, can be sent out as a missionary. The calling of missions is not for only special few. No, it is a calling to all in the church. If you are a child of God and you are called to His church, then it's ne the next step is calling to missions. And so we need to grow in our faith that can embrace all of these callings. Amen? So because God is expanding the borders of Zoom ministry very rapidly, right? Uh, last conference in Honduras, one of the, the a prophet came and gave us this prophecy. All of a sudden, she came on the last day and she gave us this prophecy that God is saying that you have sowed much seed and that up until now, now you have not reaped the harvest. Truly, right? We've we've sowed much seed, but not reaped much harvest. Right? We've spent so much money, and yet not much to show for it. But then she continued and said, now God is going to open up the storehouse of heaven. And she said that we will build a building, right? And that you will bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. And after that prophecy, already in South America, Central America, we're having much fruit. Right? Many people are bearing fruit. Right? Already they have this denomination, Zoe Ministry in Central America. It took 20 years, and yet even in Korea, it's still not running smoothly. But in, in Central America, just after one conference, they build up their this denomination. And so Honduras and Argentina will be sending their uh, candidate to be the overseer. 
to Korea. And so really, God is building up this fruit in very rapid pace. And so in this short amount of time, four days, people are being transformed very quickly. And so really, we need hands to go out and minister, right? We need hands to go out, right? And so finally, associate pastors are starting to go with me from Panama. And so I will be going to Africa. One of the associate pastors will be going to Costa Rica and, and to Panama. And so we're going to be having multiple conferences at the same time now. And so because we are moving into the proper track for Zoe ministry, all Zoe ministry must rise up. Amen. So you need to be able to teach the truth of Zoe ministry. Right? We have translators for you. We have translators for you. Right? Si habla español, Jonah. Si hablas español, no, no falas portugués, solo portugués. No, no, necesitas español. And so at any time being ready to go to Central America, at any time being ready to go wherever, right? So moving on, verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. Right? He's giving his testimony of how advanced he was in Judaism. Verse 15. But when, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. And so whether he's been called to an apostle or a pastor or a missionary, whatever it may be, ever since he was born, he had been set apart. Or no, before he was born. And so he has been set apart. And so, in other words, God has prepared best for Paul before he called him. And this doesn't apply only to Paul. As I talked about in the youth conference, when we talk about Joseph, to the child of God, God has prepared the best scenario for their life. And so uh, we have printed this uh, sermon of Joseph in, in Chinese, in Spanish, in English, in Korean. And so look, when I talked about this in Joseph, God leads Joseph in the best way. And yet look at his life. Right, in eight years, he became that prime minister. Why? 
because he did not rebel against God's leading. He did not resist God's leading. He did not choose to be wounded. He did not choose to be offended. Let's say, for example, that he 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 committed the sin with Potiphar's wife. Or let's say, no, 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 sorry, 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 sorry. Let's say when Potiphar accused him, let's say he tried to defend himself. Then Joseph would have not become prime minister. But Joseph never rebels, never resists. He never chooses offense. He is always obedient to God's leading. And every suffering he passes through, God adds to him, right? And this doesn't apply only to Joseph. But as we see in Galatians 2, to a child of God, they do not live their own life. He lives for them. As it says in Psalms 25, that he who fears the Lord knows the path set apart for him. And so God has prepared the path for you. That is predestination, right? To be holy and blameless. But as you live your life, are you choosing offense? Are you choosing rebellion? Are you choosing resistance? This spirit of religion is because of these things that you are not able to go down the best path that God has prepared for you. That's why we cast out these hurts, these offenses. That's why we seek to be holy. That's why we seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that we can be obedient to God's path, to God's will. That's why hurts and inner wounds is so dangerous. Because they keep you from following God. And so remember, my life's content is not filled by what I decide. I lay down my choice to God and God fills that content of my life. Because remember, God's calling is not for you to be a good man. God's calling is for you to be like Him. And what He demands of you is not to be perfect as a man, but it's so that you live by the standard of the dominion of heaven. And that is impossible for you to do on your own. And so you must move according to the scale of God. It's not by your efforts that you can become a good pastor. No, it's by being under God's dominion, being under God's reign. And so we must be sure that I do not live my life. God chooses my life for me. So are you not all children of God? Then God has this best scenario for you. And 
And so when Israel uh, left Egypt for 40 years, they wandered the wilderness. It's because they kept disobeying, kept rebelling, kept complaining. It's because of their life as slaves in Egypt that they're so used to this. And so they have to wander for 40 years. That might be describing your life, that you are wandering and wandering and wandering. Right, there is an old Korean pop song that has that lyrics. You circle and circle and circle. And so Paul, when he was called by God, he was upset that he was called so late, right? But but same thing with me. But as I continue to live with God, I realized that this was all for my best, right? And so I met with God at 29 years old, and I was upset. But later through Galatians, I saw that God has led me in the best way. That all my life's process has all been leading to this best moment. Has been leading to my best. And so Paul talked about Judaism. And so him living in that Judaism was all under God's plan. And so there's no need to feel unfa- uh, um, to feel unfairness, right? That's yeah, a little bit of a wrong word to use, but it's hard to express what he's saying in Korean and English right off the top of my head. But anyways, so this calling is all under God's grace. And so we'll see in verse 16, this calling to missions, right? Was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Right? So he became the apostle to the Gentiles. Right? Um, so earlier I said calling to sainthood, not calling to sainthood, saint, calling to missions. Right? Calling to missions. And so he purposely uses this word, uh, reveal his son to me, so that I could preach to the Gentiles the Gospels, right? Right, he could say, preach to the Gentiles, and yet he says, preach him among the Gentiles. So why does he say preach him among the Gentiles? Because ultimately it's about dominion. And I'll talk about this dominion later when I talk about gospel tomorrow. And so above all else, when it talks about gospel, it's talking about dominion. It's talking about the reign of God. It's talking about the kingdom of God. And so that's why he uses this word. This is really important. So I say to all the pastors, pastors, it's not about your actions, but it's about God's dominion. It's not me doing something. No, it's expanding God's reign. That will make your pastoral ministry simple. 
that he is the captain, not you. He takes responsibility, not you. If by any chance I were to take responsibility, then I cannot do this. I will not be a pastor. It's because he reigns that this, it makes this possible. How can I take responsibility for Deacon Joe? I can't. I cannot be responsible for her life. How can I be responsible for you, Kwanengi? I can't. I cannot take responsibility. It's because of God's dominion that I can do this. That's the faith we must have. Amen? This is really important in the church. We'll talk about this tomorrow in gospel. So let's hurry up and finish this mission. And so, uh, so that in order that I might, uh, was pleased to reveal his son to me. So how was this dominion uh, given to Paul? Through the revelation, through the apocalypsis of his son in him. I'll talk about revelation a little bit later. But see, this revelation right, was to be revealed. And so this is talking about Paul's event on the road to Damascus. And so the moment Paul met with Jesus on the road to Damascus, it uses this word, Hora. And so in 1 Corinthians, it says that I saw Jesus, right? He says he saw Jesus. And it's the same word, Horao, used in, in, in 1 John as well. This word, Horao, to see, is probably used more than 100 times in the New Testament. And so this word, the relationship between to see and revelation, right? Through this event on the way to Damascus, he saw the face of Jesus Christ. And the moment he saw it within him, the image of Christ was shaped inside. As it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that when you receive the light of the knowledge of him, you are receiving the light of the gospel. The moment you see the light of the gospel, you it is revealing the light of his face. And so, revelation goes hand in hand with to see. So you must continually see his face. You must continually see the glory of the church. This doesn't mean to see with your physical eyes. It means to see his glory, to see the gospel. That when you see those things, this his image is revealed in you. His image is clear in you. It's because you fail to see that that image is not implanted in you. Amen? And so when it says that it's revealed, it's, it's, it, it, it assumes that you have seen. Because you have seen His glory. 
because you have seen his image. And so I'll talk about to see later in chapter 4, but... And so in Galatians, we will examine a little bit of everything. And so we'll talk about this a little bit later. But, so we're finished today. And so what is the calling to missions? It is proclaiming his kingdom, proclaiming his dominion. That is what missions is all about. It's not preaching uh, salvation. It's preaching his dominion. It's preaching his kingdom. It's extending his kingdom. Uh, sorry, so, well, not, not necessarily not preaching salvation. It is preaching salvation. But salvation is what is his kingdom. It's proclaiming his kingdom. So we must see his kingdom. And so your spiritual eyes must be open tonight. Amen? To see his glory. And so we talked about these four callings. Calling of apostle, calling to, to his servant, calling to the church, and calling to missions. And tomorrow we'll say calling to uh, gospel. So let us pray.